Hey, Corey here, and this is Everything is Marketing. Other marketing podcasts might give you the highlight reel or focus on a particular industry, strategy, or tactic, but this podcast explores marketing from every angle and allows you to get inside the head of the guest to really understand who they are and how they think. This episode is brought to you by Riverside.fm, and quite literally because it's what I use to record both my podcasts, Everything is Marketing, and Default Alive. But I was using Riverside long before they became a sponsor. I used to use Zoom until someone interviewed me using Riverside, and I just knew that I had to make the switch. Personally, I love it because they take local recordings on each side, which gives you a reliable connection, and the highest quality audio and video tracks. Separate HD recordings, an iOS app, automatic transcriptions, it's made specifically for podcasters. People like Guy Raz from How I Built This, Cortland Allen from Indie Hackers, and even Hillary Clinton uses it, if you can believe it. Check them out and all the other features they have at riverside.fm. One more time, that's riverside.fm. On the show today is Laura Lopuk. Laura is a sales email consultant, also known as the queen of cold emails. I wanted to bring her on because she's one of the few cold email experts who actually show their work and provide tangible examples of what works. And she's written for Copy Hackers, uh, Unbalanced, as well as spoken at conferences like MicroConf and Shine Bootcamp. You'll hear about email outreach common mistakes and how to fix them, tangible examples of how to use cold email for marketing, and Laura's framework so you can craft your own high-converting emails. To start out, did you ever think that you'd be doing copywriting for a living? <laughs> no, no, no way. Actually, like I thought, I didn't even know what like copywriting was, and I thought I would be maybe publishing books, like. <laughs> Like every copywriter, it seems like I've got a couple books, you know, stashed in my drawer that I wrote just to see if I could write it just to like do the challenge. And then my husband's always like, when are you going to publish those things? And I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like that wasn't kind of the point. (laughs) The point was to see if I could do it. But I never thought I'd be like here doing this. Yeah, never. It's just such a weird weird twisty turny journey that brought me here and yet the weird the weirdest thing is that it's exactly where i should be and what i should be doing like Mm. based on my personality and and how i'm kind of what you what marie forleo calls like a multi-passionate entrepreneur i i tend to see like lots of different opportunities and someone will like drop an idea and i'm like oh here's how you can like monetize it and create a business all around it and they're like dude i was just like mm. talking about an idea that maybe could be fun <laughs> to do <laughs> and i like take it the whole Same. way um so it it makes a lot of sense why i'm doing copywriting because it's it engages all of those parts but i still can't help myself i'm still like involved in extracurricular side hustles yeah, totally. <laughs> oh yeah, yep. I can relate to that. My my family makes fun of me every time I use the word monetization <laughs> because I always <laughs> wanted to monetize everything and always talking about marketing, always talking about business ideas, but just can't help myself. It's the way my brain works. And of course, like you said, I want to have my hands in all sorts of different cookie jars and be involved yes. in so many different things. And it's interesting because every time I ask that question, like 99% of the time people say that, you know, what they're doing now is not what they thought they'd be doing. Even, you know, what they thought they'd be doing five years ago or 10 years ago. It doesn't even have to be, mm-hmm. you know, since they were like a little kid. And it just kind of occurred to me that maybe that's because what a lot of people are doing today didn't exist even, you know, 20 years ago, you know, because of the internet, because of business yeah. today, just the world changes. And so it's not really, you know, surprising that the world changed so much and that we're not doing what we thought we would because it didn't even exist or we didn't know it was a thing. 
Yeah, that's so true. Like even just working from home, like my mom would never have had that option, being able to like set her own hours and pursue her interests and have a family and be able to work from home and how to how to put all that together. She didn't have that option. So I don't even know how she could have made it work. Whereas I have that that luxury. And I think you're right. Like we forget that how quickly tech has both broadened our lives and shrunk the world all at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So today you do a lot of writing, a lot of freelancing, consulting, teaching as well. Like I said, you're a multi-passionate entrepreneur. You have your hands on a lot of different things. But could you walk me through kind of a brief timeline of how you got to where you are today and what were some of the kind of the, the milestones and things that you did that got you to where you are right now? Sure. So I took a job out of college working at a law firm. I graduated with a BA in English, which is basically a BA in BS. <laughs> you, <laughs> like you, what can you do with a, an English degree? <laughs> mm-hmm. You can either teach or you can kind of go to law school. And so at the time I was thinking law school, but I wanted to test it out a little bit before I committed to more school, lots of debt, all that jazz. So I got a job at a law firm and within six years or something, I had worked my way all the way up to the top paralegal. So basically I was helping all the attorneys. I was going to trials. I was getting this like amazing crash course on how to put together an argument, a persuasive argument and find like these loopholes and create new stories in people's heads. And so the next logical spot for me was to go to law school or quit. So I quit. (laughs) I didn't want to have homework every night of the week and like measure my time in billable hours. And it just wasn't for me. I felt like this hamster wheel of always, like my, my life was being spent outside of my control in a way, um, always trying to get more billable hours. And I really wanted to work to live instead of live to work. So ironically, I became an entrepreneur and now I have homework every night and sometimes early in the mornings, but it's so different because now it's for me and it's for my goals. And basically right after I quit my job, I quit in a flurry of rage, like maybe a lot of us did. I didn't plan it out at all. I just was like, that's it. I'm done. This is it. I'm never coming back. And I burned as many bridges as I could possibly do that kind of to create that launching pad uh, so I could move forward. And so at the time I had only one client and on a good month, they paid me like 200 bucks a month. And now my mortgage at the time was considerably more. So I had to figure out how to make up the difference quickly with no marketing budget and no network and no referrals because those bridges I burned and all that jazz. So I started cold emailing and it took me about three months of cold email hell to finally get any traction. And it was actually about six years ago. It was over the summer. And I just remember taking my dogs for a daily walk to like walk off all the angst and all the self-doubt and just like sweating it all out in like blistering hot Colorado sunshine of like 90 plus degrees, wondering if I'd made the right choice. But long story short, I, I broke through and figured out a way to write cold emails in a really effective manner and a way that actually works. And so, 
yeah, so I started, I got a client, $20,000 client off one cold email, ended up working with her for quite a while. And then from there, I, I like dodged the, like the niche thing, did the niche dance for a while. And finally was like, okay, I guess what I did with cold emails was kind of amazing and special and one of a kind. And so I finally embraced cold emails as what I do. And since then I haven't looked back and I actually only use cold emails as my only form of marketing. I, I still don't do Facebook ads. I still, still don't do content marketing, to be honest with you. I tried the social media, you know, dance, but I'm not, I didn't like it. It stressed me out too much. And I would much rather do cold emails to, to get publicity and to bring new clients in the door and and to be able to talk to cool people like you and and meet lots more people than just social media will get me. Yeah. Hmm. So it's funny because, you know, you ended up like that became sort of, you know, your niche of, of what you do. Yeah. Uh, but in the beginning, that wasn't what you were trying to sell other people on. And uh, I was have to assume that it was sort of like a learning process to figure out how to actually get good at cold email enough to build a business off of it. And then you can teach other people how to do it and sort of do it for them as well. But how did you, like, what were some of the keys to making it work for yourself first and actually being a viable sort of marketing channel that gets you business? Yeah, that's a great question. It, it took a lot of trial and error at first and to really figure out basically the framework around what makes an email great. Because what I found out is that you can't write a cold email the same way you would write like a normal business email because they you don't have any relationship with this person that you're emailing out of the blue. So along those three months of hell, I stumbled upon the relevancy method. And what that boils down to is you need to make your cold email relevant to your reader. You need to answer the question, what's in it for me, for your reader. And only then can they actually consider your cold email or even be remotely interested. And so that was, that was a huge process for me. And you're right. Like at the time I was thinking of being a SaaS email copywriter and helping people, you know, convert from trial to paid and go through those sequences. And I really liked the psychology around it. But what I didn't realize was that there was a lot of psychology at work within cold emails too. I just wasn't realizing it until until I started dabbling in the SaaS world. And then I was like, oh, look at all these parallels. Look at this framing. Look at this messaging. Look at how they're assuming the yes and how they're setting them up to say yes. And those are all things that I do in a cold email. And it, it partially came a little bit naturally, but probably from working in a law firm. But also it came from that trial and error and that kind of intense intense hell basically of emailing the internet's trash can for about three months and getting Mm. ignored. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a a lot to it. I want to get into some of the specifics and kind of tactics, but but I'm also curious, how do you think that your time as a paralegal or even just going through, you know, your English major and degree help you with the work that you ended up doing today? Oh my gosh. That is such a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. So I really think that, especially the English literature degree has given me so much more insight and given me that analytical side to look at something that works. Say like you get an email in your inbox and you're like, this is amazing. 
but I don't know how it works. And that English literature degree gave me the ability to dissect and break that email down and be like, this is what's working. This is what's not, you know, not what's working. This is why I like this. This is what I would ditch. And to like pull the thing apart. I always think of Tony Stark and Iron Man where he's got those cool like 3D computer models. And so if you're able to pull like, right, pull the email apart or whatever you really like and to be able to highlight and pick out the parts that are working well for you and then create something new from those parts. That's both the English degree and then that like crash course and persuasion and argument creation from working as a paralegal really helped me put those two things together and and the art of questioning. How you can use a question, not as like a weapon, but as a way to kind of steer someone down another path that they might not have considered. And the art of asking a powerful question can really open up new doors that you might not have even known existed had you not asked the question. Hmm. Yeah, the one of my previous guests mentioned sort of like the art of rhetoric and it hadn't even occurred to me before mm-hmm. that, that like, oh yeah, like this has been around for like a long, long time. And even like, this was like one of the core, you know, now I guess like, English is kind of like what we call it today, but really like the fundamentals and where it began was uh, rhetoric and sort of like this mm-hmm. whole movement of, you know, argumentation and like I yes. said, persuasion and storytelling and using all these elements together in order to communicate effectively to people. And I feel like it's really easy to, to miss that into, like you said, like marry kind of like the the persuasion bit with also like the technical writing of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a question yeah. here instead of a statement, or I'm going to phrase this in this way so that I can evoke this emotion or get people to focus mm-hmm. in on this part of what I'm trying to say instead. Yeah, exactly. And stories do a fantastic job of that. And I think it's something that's becoming, it's really hyped right now, right? It's like the new buzzword, like stories, sticky tell, you know, sticky storytelling and use stories. Everybody's all about it. But I think what we miss a lot of times in talking about stories is that that's how the human brain is wired. And we've been telling stories for thousands of years. Like Homer was one of the first, you know, storytellers that we actually know of just because someone happened to write down a story. But that was so many years ago. And the fact that we still communicate in stories, you know, when you ask your spouse, like, how'd your day go? They don't say, oh, it was great. Because if they gave you that response, you'd be like, what's wrong? (laughs) Tell me more. What happened? You want to hear the story about their day. You want to hear about like, maybe that mishap that one of their employees had with HR, that you you're craving the story of their day. And so I think I think a lot of marketers miss that that really human element to stories in their marketing and they want to tell like this this weepy feel good story that sells, you know, but it's not really about that. It's actually about like connecting and how to mm. again highlight what parts your audience will relate to, what part they find relevant. And the interesting thing is that stories actually work really well in cold emails as well. I've been experimenting with some of my clients with those. And it's really cool to see 
that you don't have to just use stories and say sales emails or typical advertising, but you can use it in outreach emails too. Would you yeah, like do you have an example there? of how that would work? Yeah. Because the, the storytelling bit <laughs> for the cold emails kind of caught my attention. I, I sort of feel like, you know, as, as a naive person who hasn't done a lot of cold emails, that it's a little bit like throwing spaghetti at the wall. And like sometimes right. it works and you don't know why. And or, you know, maybe there's just like different strategies for different industries or, you know, how many cold emails people get per day. And like, does it read like a cold email or does it not? So I'd love right. to hear your thoughts on the storytelling bit in cold emails to sort of differentiate and, and actually capture someone's attention. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I could kind of feel your wheels turning when I said that. (laughs) So really one of the emails that I wrote for a current client of mine, it was, we told it, I told a story. It was a customer success story. And I told the story over a four sequence email. So I started it and it was a Netflix style email. So we started the action, right? And then I ended on a cliffhanger. And then the next, I'd be like, I'll tell you more tomorrow, right? And so I broke down this case study into maybe like 200 word emails and set up the problem in the first email and then hinted at the agitation like, oh man, things are going to get worse. Watch out for my email tomorrow and I'll tell you what happened. And then in the second email, I talk about the problem and it was all in story, but they were really short and snappy too. Like I think a lot of people think stories have to be long drawn out novels, right? Like the next Harry Potter book where it's a doorstopper. They don't really have to be. You just have to paint a picture quickly and help your reader get into that scene that you've created for them and work into that story arc of like, what did the normal look like? What's the change? What's that turning point where they have to make a decision? Do I go on this journey? Do I not go on this journey? Like on Lord of the Rings, do I return this ring? Do I not? Do I just ignore it, go back to my hobbit hole? And then once they make that decision, that turning point, then what is, what's the new normal look like? What does the after look like? So going back to these cold emails that I wrote, I did them with a couple of clients. And so it was just a four sequence, uh, four email sequence. And we followed that arc over the, over the emails problem introduced in the first email, agitate it in the second email, start with the change in the third email, and then end with the new normal in the fourth email. And for one of my clients, it was to a cold list to lawyers actually and they are they're notorious for ignoring emails because they get bombarded with emails everything has to be documented in that field because if it's not written down you can argue about what actually happened for days so they like to document everything but for this particular email sequence it had a 50 percent open rate and a 30 percent click-through rate which is amazing considering she went from like a 10% open rate and a 1% click-through rate. And so I tried it with another client and they ended up converting a, quite a few sales calls off of this particular case study broken up over emails and told that way. And so I think that's really cool because that's what a cold email is supposed to do. It's supposed to, to engage you and to pull you in 
and then not let you go for a little bit so that you keep paying attention so you can take action. And that's exactly what a story is designed to do. And it's just so cool to see the two work together in such a really beautiful way, really, and actually get results. That's fascinating. I I had never thought about breaking up sort of like a a single story or email into multiple and and literally telling people, hey, I'm going to send you another one tomorrow and it's going to have, you know, expect X, Y, and Z, right? Right. Of course, everyone sends follow-up emails, right? Right. Uh, Or they're saying, hey, just bumping this up or, you know, here's another sort of like version of this pitch that might be shorter, more concise, but actually breaking up into a sequence as definitely new and novel. But I'm wondering, how did you like set that up? Like, how does something like that begin where, where then you can go into kind of like naturally or an interesting way into a story or do you not, do you just like, you know, the first line basically is, you know, you're starting to to tell a story. Yeah, it was, I didn't give the list any warning at all. It was, I was actually a B testing really on kind of my standard format for doing cold emails, following the relevancy method, how can I answer what's in it for you as my, for my reader, doing the pretty standard follow-up emails, keeping it all in one thread. And then I had a really cool client who had a really awesome founder story and it related, you could feel the emotion coming off of her when she was talking about it. And I felt like, it, her audience would relate so strongly to that because of the own, my own experimenting with my own list and telling stories and how I had I had done a couple of launches and they had kind of like went over really poorly. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an analogy, but it, they were not as great as I thought, even though I had a really engaged list. And so then I started telling stories after reading this book that's called Stories That Stick by Kendra Hall. And so I read her book and I was like, well, why not? Why not tell stories as sales emails? So I tried it out on my own list and I saw, you know, amazing, amazing, like just open rates. You know how they usually dip off in a launch. People are like, all right, I've seen this. I I know what you want. You're selling again, blah, blah, blah. But throughout my launch, I was emailing 632 people, super tiny list. And my average open rate was 37%. And the average click-through rate was just shy of 8.5%. And and I had really low unsubscribes of, I think the highest email had like seven people unsubscribe. And so it it was a signal to me that there could be something here. And so to go back to your question, I had this really awesome client and she had this awesome founder story and I thought her list would really resonate with it. So she was game for some really vulnerable experimentation. And, and when I saw how well it worked, I was like, I need to try this with other clients too, because this is really cool. And it's a great way to, to sell without feeling salesy and to capture someone's attention. Hmm. So at the, at the end of that kind of sequence, yeah. are you making kind of like a hard ask at that point and like tying it back to how it relates to why you're sending the email in the first place? Or are you just trying to kind of like evoke a response and get a reply and then sort of, you know, get someone to bite before you really tell them, you know, what it is that, that you're trying to, to sell or to, 
get them on a phone call or whatever right. it is that the goal is. Yeah. So the first two emails, I didn't include any sort of call to action other than watch out for my next email. It's coming tomorrow. And that was it just to kind of set them up. And then in the, the last two emails of the sequence, I think I had like a PS in email number three. So it was a pretty soft sell like, oh, hey, you know, this is something that helped me or this is this is how you could get the same for those fast action takers. Those decision makers who are like, yes, that's what I want. How do I do this? I need to take action. And then in the fourth email, it was more of a hard call to action where it was like, this is what helped me click here or book a call here, that kind of thing. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. Wondering if you could speak on one of the kind of like sales advice and things that, that, that I've heard kind of float around is the difference between cold outreach and warm outreach. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, the cold outreach actually isn't warm outreach. It's, uh, I'm sorry, isn't cold outreach. It is warm outreach where you establish some sort of connection or, uh, commonality or, you know, you get someone to make an intro, you connect on LinkedIn, you like their posts on social media, you have all that kind of stuff. What do you think about, you know, warm outreach versus cold outreach? I think it's super interesting. I've been intrigued to try it. I have a couple clients who have tried it. I haven't personally tried it just because of bandwidth, because I feel like I can I can create that sense of warmth even in a cold email based on the research that I do. And maybe you can speak to it because that's kind of why we're here. We were strangers before before I cold emailed you. We were in the same spheres, like I follow you on Twitter, you follow me. But like I said, I'm not really active on Twitter. So you probably haven't really seen my name pop up in your feed. I see your tweets, which are awesome. And I'm envious of how frequently you tweet and how you can do it. And you have amazing stuff. (laughs) But other than like hearting your tweet every now and again, like we haven't really had any connection. And yet I was able to create that warmth and make that. So I, I almost feel like you don't have to do the extra legwork. It feels it feels it feels like being busy for the sake of being busy to be really honest. Whereas you could really invest your time a little bit more wisely in getting to know that human on the other side of your screen that you're cold emailing and try to weave together lots of connection threads so that it doesn't feel like two strangers hopping on some zoom call together it actually feels like oh hey you're an acquaintance of an acquaintance like you know a lot of the people i know we just haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet because it just hasn't happened we haven't been in the same room yet and that's totally cool you just i think that really boils down to research and yeah if you do your research i think you can really (laughs) you can get anybody actually to reply and on that note i've actually cold email say Noah Kagan about four or five times over the past like six years on Twitter, actually emails and stuff like that. I reached out to him actually this year because I'd love to be on his podcast, Noah Kagan Presents. And it just hasn't, it hasn't worked out, but he's replied to every single one of my outreach attempts because I'm trying to create that connection and find that that bridge where we can both meet and be like, oh, hey, like we're, we're interested in the same things, right? We're not actually strangers. We just haven't, we haven't met yet. 
Right. That's what I was thinking of was even in your email to me, I had seen, you know, your face around. I had seen some of the, I remembered, you know, that you had done some good branding around the, you know, the queen of uh, cold email. And I had seen some of your stuff before through other copywriters that I knew, but I didn't know or hadn't directly um, interacted with you. But even then with the email that you sent to me, you know, you definitely established kind of like that, that common ground of, Hey, it felt like you really knew with the podcast, you could speak right. directly to, you said, Hey, here's what's in it for your audience here are some of like the things that we have in common and or you just like proved that you knew sort of what it was about and uh, in that case you didn't have to do kind of like the warm outreach kind of thing where you do you know it's, it's like well you can either establish the common ground in the email or outside of the email you know they're not right. like these mutually exclusive ideas right exactly but i think it's essential to create that common ground otherwise people are like why are you emailing me i don't care about what you have to say i don't know you and you really are two strangers like bumping into each other at the airport back when we used to fly, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Way back when. Yeah. I know. The, the old world. I know. We, we talked about a couple. You mentioned, you know, like the relevancy score, even <clears throat> in the sequence you mentioned, you know, you have like the pain, the agitation, yeah. sort of like this hint at like this new world. And they talk about the new world or like the new normal. I wonder if you can talk me through a little bit, like what's the difference or what are some of the commonalities or differences between a mediocre cold email that does okay, or maybe flops, and a great email that knocks out of the park, has a great response rate, and just what really are the differences that you notice that you can draw back to some sort of principle or framework or just the patterns that you've seen? Yeah, it they all relate back to the relevancy method, which is answering that question for your reader, what's in it for me? Because really, Nobody cares about what you have to say until it relates to the listener. And it, and it doesn't really matter. Like everybody filters every request through this one question. What's in it for me? Whether it's, I'll empty the dishwasher to keep my spouse happy. I'll babysit for my you know <laughs> sister so that we still are on talking terms, right? I'll pull my neighbor's trash up so that he doesn't toss his dog poop over the, over the fence, whatever it is. We all filter everything through this question. And so why would your cold email reader be any different? And when you when you write your cold email from, from that framework, from that mindset, it's a heck of a lot easier to write, first of all, because if you've done some research and you know who you're writing to, it's a lot easier to help answer that question for me, for them, basically and how, how you can help them get to that conclusion that it's beneficial for them to do what you're asking. So I would say really going back to that framework is going to be the, the number one way that your cold email stands out from the 99% of really bad emails that you see come into your inbox. And I challenge everybody listening to check out the next cold email that comes into your inbox and put it through that test. Just look at it real quick. You can open it up. You don't have to reply. I'm not, nothing like that. Just open it up, give it a quick read and ask yourself, does it answer what's in it for me as the reader? Why should I care? I would bet that like 9.5 times out of 10, that email doesn't answer. But I would also say that on that rare occasion, when a cold email comes through and it does answer it for you, you're going to be wanting to reply. And it's just because of them relying on that framework. Yeah. Mm. 
I'm curious for, for strangers, like I said, we're talking about cold yeah. outreach here. These are people you might not know very well, or it might even be hard to dig up information on them. You know, maybe they don't have like a big online, you know, presence, or you just don't have the yeah. time to, you know, to really figure out like a personalized what's in it for them for each one. Or maybe you do, but I'm wondering like, how do you figure out what's in it for them if they're strangers? You know, people that you inherently don't know a ton about or, you know, haven't talked to you personally before. Yeah, that's a great question. I fall back on this awesome SaaS called Crystal Nose. It's actually, you can sign up, there's a free trial and it works in conjunction with your LinkedIn. So how it works is you install the Chrome um, browser plugin, go to your LinkedIn, look up the person that you would like to pitch and it will, based on its algorithm and all this other fancy, you know, engineering, math, magic, it determines who, what type of personality your cold email reader could potentially be based on the disk personality. So it will, it will let you know, like say Hmm. they're like a driver. So these people are, if you think of Monica friends, you know, ambitious, hard hitting, blunt, almost to the point of rude, perhaps really driven. And you could legitimately probably email them your whole email in the subject line because that's the kind of person that they are. Whereas someone who is, say, conscientious, think attorneys tend to be financial advisors, people who like to keep track of the details, they tend to have lots of questions. You're going to take a wildly different approach to that personality. So that's what I fall back on all the time when I kind of get stuck is just to get a reading of what kind of person is this? How does their brain naturally communicate? What's their personality type? And the cool part is Crystal Knows even gives you writing tips and sales call tips and to kind of coach you through the process to help you see what this could look like. And yeah, they're they're definitely my secret weapon. Yeah, interesting. I had never even thought that that would be a thing or that, right. would, you know, that that existed before. It also reminds me of, I follow Ryan from a magic sales bot. I don't know if you know him or mm-hmm. sort of what he does, but it's sort of uh, this GTP three AI copywriting engine for sales emails and for uh, a lot of like outreach emails as well. You might find it interesting, but I think he, I think I saw him tweet something about how um, it'll pull in sort of like recent tweets from people that you're trying to reach and figure out like, oh, here's some sort of common ground you can break or something that they're talking about, something they shared recently, right? So that way it's one of those kind of things that you can you can use to your advantage to talk about in an email. But little things like that really tend to make a, seems like make a big difference yeah. in your ability to, to connect, right? Even if it's, you know, style, or like personality style, or if it's just interest, activity online. Are there other things you look to to try to figure out, you know, what this type of person is into or what the best way is to establish that common ground? Sometimes I rely on people that we know, which is a technique that I used in my cold email to you. So I relied on some past guests of yours, like uh, I think I mentioned like Val Geisler. And so I relied on that past connection you that you and I might have. And sometimes I'll even rely on like where my cold email recipient lives and the city that they live in if I'm coming up dry on all my other options to connect on. So for example, this one cold sales email I sent, 
the recipient, he lived in Washington, D.C. My brother at the time lived in D.C. And so I used that point of connection as a way to connect and was, you know, just complimented on the place that he lived and said that D.C. is one of my favorite cities. And he replied within a day. So you can, if you have some sort of idea of where they might live in the world, there is still like a point of connection that you can make. You can say something like, you know, maybe your friend traveled there and had amazing reviews to say about it. Or maybe it's on your bucket list. That's what I say to a lot of people in Australia. I'll be like, Mm. you know, you're on my bucket list of, I want to come to your place. I want to come to, you know, Australia and visit. I just haven't had the chance to yet. So think a little bit creatively. Think about what you would say if some, if you met someone at like a cocktail mixer, you wouldn't just kind of like leave them hanging. (laughs) You would have to like, maybe you could find, you know, a common ground between they post a lot of dog pictures on Twitter and you've got a dog and Hey, look, here's a connection. (laughs) Like it doesn't have to be rocket science. You're just looking for that point of, it can be a small connection and that's totally okay. What do you think that the, the kind of balance is between hyper personalizing every email for each person, sort of like you did for me, where you're finding like a, a common, you know, person that we know or, you know, something that they posted on social media versus kind of the, the batch and blast <clears throat> where you're, you know, you're taking like a template or something where you can, you know, insert these little tidbits of personalization, right. but you're not, you know, handwriting or manually tweaking each email going out. I would say that like the bash and blast ones, I like that. They have a lower conversion rate because you aren't able to make it as relevant to the person reading it. You're making a lot more hypothesized guesses on your side about what's going to land, what's not going to land, because you're basically trying to pitch a committee which is a heck of a lot harder than trying to convince one person. So I would say that the personalized pitches are always, always going to outperform kind of the committee-based pitches. And I see that happening over and over again, actually, in, in my consulting business, where my private clients, they, they, they have a list, and that's cool. They want to pitch this list. But you just, it's hard to get those same conversion rates that you can on one-to-one because you can make that connection so much, so much stronger and more powerful because you're talking to one person. Mm. You can get there with the committee-based. It just takes a, a lot longer and a lot more testing to get to that same point. Hmm. Besides doing like the opposite of the best practices, which are, you know, sort of like the relevancy method and, you know, storytelling and stuff like that. Are there any big mistakes that people should avoid or steer clear of or just things that you see that are suboptimal? Yeah, I would say number one is being scared of cold outreach. I think cold outreach gets a bad rap a lot of times because we are on the other side of it often. And so we know that feeling that comes up in our mouth when we get a really bad cold outreach email in our inbox. And so I think a lot of people instinctively shy away from sending cold outreach, whereas instead of recognizing the fact that those emails that are inciting that specific gag response in you are actually the bad versions instead of what it could look like if you, if you took the time. The inverse side of that is if you do take the time and research, 
it, the bar is so easy to leap over because of all those bad cold emails. And then I would say the second thing is that people, marketers especially, are a little bit scared of being different. And it, it ties back to like our human wiring in that, you know, caveman days, if you were the oddball out, you were typically secluded from the community and your survival rates. I mean, come on, <laughs> you weren't going right. to last very long at that point. So I think a lot of times we let that, that programming keep us from, from standing out and being different in the inbox. And Joanna Weba, copy hackers does a fabulous job of being different in the inbox. She's actually one of the people that I swipe files from a lot, like her emails, like <laughs> she'll see what a lot of people are doing and then go the opposite way. And I encourage you, if you're thinking of doing cold emails, to do that as well, to aim for the casual and then see what everybody else is doing and do something so much different because you want your email to stand out. Like that programming that's telling you to, to stay the same and be like everyone else is from middle school and you're way past that. Like, let's move past that already. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you have to be, you have to take a chance, right? There yeah. are things that you have to experiment with. You have to be different. You want to even sound different. What do you do when things don't work out or when things are, you know, aren't performing as well? Like, do you have a, a method around testing, experimenting? You know, do you sort of just iterate based off of a couple of, ideas that you have? Or are you testing like wildly different versions that are have no commonality between them? I like to test wildly different versions. Yeah. I like to put out a lot of different iterations of a cold email out in the beginning and then test them against each other. And so they don't usually look alike. So we're testing different subject lines. So there could be like 20 different versions. It gets a little confusing, but 20 different versions of like an email going out just to figure out which one's working well. It's kind of like betting on a horse in a horse race. Like you want to, mm. you want to, you know, scatter your bets and then you'll figure out what's working and what's not a lot faster than just testing like A versus B and seeing what happens. And then months later you are kind of stale in the same spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because I just feel like uh, it's one of those things that uh, changes all the time, but like mm -hmm. actually like doesn't change all the time. It's email. Email has been around forever. Cold yeah. email has been a thing for as long as it's it's been around. And of course, there's kind of like these waves and trends and different things that come and go. But in general, do you feel like, you know, you, there's a kind of tried and true proven method or at least mm -hmm. kind of, you know, what becomes old becomes new again? Or are things a lot different over time and just, you know, you have to work a lot harder or, you, you know, tactics that used to work don't work at all and they never will work again? Oh, man, that's a really deep question. <laughs> I would say, I would say the fundamentals still are the same. So from when I was cold emailing to start my business six years ago to cold emailing now, I still use... I still use the same fundamentals, the same framework. It might just look a little bit different because I have a little bit more tools in my shed, like Crystal knows I can get an insight into what their personality could look like. I also have, you know, 
way more people are on different types of social media. So I have more avenues to, you know, research. But I would say the core fundamental is still email is our digital version of an old fashioned letter written by hand, which is what I find so Mm -hmm. cool about email, except you can do it at scale, but it still has that core elements of it's me to you. And there's not, there's not anything else. It's kind of like when you're watching, you know, like Netflix or like a movie and that the actor breaks the third barrier and he looks right into your eyes and you feel that connection. (laughs) And it's that human element. And I think emails still have that human element at its core and everything else is like you said fads trends oh do this do that until we figure out oh don't do this don't do that i was wrong (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it works until it doesn't exactly i'm curious if you could talk maybe kind of rapid fire sure i can give you a couple of different types of emails that someone might send, you know, as a cold outreach to, to someone in this instance, and you can kind of like tell me how you would approach it or what are some of the nuances yeah. to it. So uh, this might be interesting. It might be really hard. I'll put you on the spot <laughs> a little bit. It might be a tall order, but you can do the best you can. Cool. But I was wondering, because I was, I was kind of making a list, like what are all the different applications of this? Because I want to make mm-hmm. sure that I'm covering everything that will be useful to people for using cold email outreach. And so these are some of the ideas I had. I just want to get your thoughts on them. So the first one is customer research. Let's just say, for example, that uh, you're pre sort of business, pre product. You want to understand, you know, and kind of do your due diligence on what people are looking for and who this type of person is. How would you approach a cold email to someone in that, with that purpose? Oh my gosh. I've actually gotten a cold email like this where it was from Etienne. He's the founder of Get Highlights. And he reached out to me via cold email. I had no idea who he was and he wanted to get me on a call so that he quote, didn't build the wrong thing. And it was super interesting to see his email. I actually use it a lot as a good example because there's not many good examples of cold emails out there. And within that cold email, he relied heavily on complimenting me and not necessarily flattery because that kind of sounds like it's fake. But you could tell he did his 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 research and his compliments were genuine in the way that he he started off with a compliment and he complimented me in knowing what industry I work in and you know that I'm an email I was an email conversion copywriter at the time and and he wanted to get my opinion so he didn't build the wrong thing and that was the clincher that really got me over the hump of my objections like, oh man, I don't have time for this, or I can't charge him for this or any of that. But that was what got me to say yes, because he needed my help and the way he phrased it. So he didn't build the wrong thing. Like my help could help him, you know, get on the right path. How, how flattering is that? Like brag on me some more. I'm okay with that. (laughs) So I would say, yeah, Yeah, totally use it that way. Yeah, it's interesting that it was sort of like, you know, you felt empathy for him. You were like, oh, I, yeah. I don't want him to build the wrong thing. I'm going to, you know, give my time over. And, and you know, even though it's like, wasn't it for you? You know, I don't know. Maybe not a ton unless it's like a, it's no. a tool for someone like you. Or maybe, you know, you can leverage that re- relationship later. But the empathy alone seems like got you to, to take action. Yeah, definitely. 
What's your next one? So second one, networking with potential partners. So let's just say, for example, you're a software company and you want to integrate with complementary software that your customers also use in conjunction with yours. Or maybe you're like a DTC brand and you sort of, you know, you both sell to, you know, millennial dudes like myself, let's just say, for example, and you're like, hey, let's do like a newsletter swap or you're trying to build yeah. some sort of co-working function. How would you how would you go about or think about, you know, networking with, with the potential partners and reaching out in a way that's sort of like mutually beneficial? Yeah, I love doing this. I really love doing this. And it's so much fun because you guys, you're both aligned towards the same goal of, you know, making your customer happy, basically. And so think about it in terms of like, well, what does this other company bring to the table that my audience can potentially benefit from? And what do I bring to the table that their audience could potentially benefit from? And it's from that mindset that I've had some fantastic partnerships myself in my own business and been able to pitch some pretty big companies on some cool partnerships like webinars and, you know, like swaps and stuff like that. But it's really when you, when you approach it from like, here's how I can help your people. And then if you even spell out like, and here's the win for me, they really appreciate that honesty because then there's not any tap dancing when you get to, if you do get to a call and that objection, because you headed it off in your cold email, it doesn't keep them from saying yes to you. Like they're like, oh, this is why, you know, this is why they want to work with me. That totally makes sense. It's just a business decision. And it helps them say yes. Hmm. I love that. What about link building? Have you ever done Ooh. any link building yourself or for clients or just maybe if you haven't just sort of brainstorming, yeah. you know, how to think about cold email from the perspective of trying to um, get people to link to your content and, uh, yeah. or even do some sort of swap. I haven't had a lot of experience in link building. I have been on the receiving end of a couple of cold emails where they've been wanting mm -hmm. to do link building. And I will say it's a bit of a harder sell, partially because you're essentially asking your person, your recipient to do work, which is perhaps create this whole new blog post and then link to me. And it, and a lot of times the way that cold email comes off to the reader is I want you to pat my back. So you really need to avoid that feeling, that like knee jerk reaction in your reader. So you can, the best example I have of this is I've, I've cold emailed some, some pretty big names like Rob Walling, Noah Kagan again. And I had used examples of emails that their companies had sent out in a guest post that I had written. And I just sent them like a heads up, like, Hey, you know, referenced, you know, AppSumo in Kissmetrics, this blog post I wrote. And then I, I don't even think I asked for a direct share. I just said, here's the article. Is there anything you, you know, change about it? And instead of that, they actually shared it on Twitter for me. And so I think mm. when you approach it from a can you help me perspective instead of a hey scratch my back I got an itch perspective I think that your recipients much more likely to say yes again because humans are actually wired to want to help each other and so if you can invoke that that response instead of the hey man I got an itchy back you're like the tree that's going to help me right <laughs> Try to avoid that one and yeah, go for like yeah. the humble ask is what I would say. 
Right. Yeah. The, the reciprocation is definitely really key there. Something I found is like you said, it's, it's basically impossible to get someone to link to you. If you just ask them to link yeah. to you, you have to first link to them or you have to figure out if there's something you can offer or you can connect with someone or if you actually with some of the best kind of pitches that I've gotten on link building has been someone who said that they're a freelance writer who writes for X, Y, and Z. And if I would be interested in building a link from those sites later on, mm. you know, I can link to them first and then later on they'll send me opportunities for me to build a link with them. I thought yeah. that was genius. I was like, oh, well, like, duh. Like, I would, of course, <laughs> sure. You know, why not? It's not that much for work for me, but then, like, later down the road, I might get the, you know, I might get a sweet deal out of this. So, again, it comes yeah. back to what's in it for them or what's in yeah. it for me. Yeah. And it's more of a partnership, that relationship that they're pitching you That's on a versus one. a, uh, yeah, not. <laughs> right. It's more of a, a collaboration. What about maybe like a PR outreach to journalists where maybe you launch a new feature, you launch your company, you have some sort of fundraising event. Journalists and PR has been sort of a struggle for me personally, where I haven't had, it's one of those things I haven't had like any luck in whatsoever. And uh, I don't know if you've done anything like this, but I'm just wondering also how you would kind of think about reaching out to a journalist to get featured in a story or have some sort of opportunity down the line to get featured. Yeah, this is a great question. And one I've been struggling with in my own business, actually, I seem to have like a mental block against pitching bigger publications. And I think for me, I just need to take it back to the root of it, which is they're a human, they have a problem that I can potentially solve, which is, here's something to write a story about. And it's not, it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily about me. It's just giving them maybe the kernel of an idea. And I think that's what it comes down to. Again, just connecting on a human basis versus that scratch my back basis, right? However, I haven't been, I haven't pitched publicity like journalists like that, but I do know that they're constantly under deadline and that they're constantly looking for stories. And I'm sure their brain hurts just from doing all that mental lifting. And if you can approach pitching them from a, hey, look, I've got this great story. Like, let me just help you. Let me just solve your problem for you. You don't even have to take it. But like, here's just an idea. You can have it. I think that that approach would go over really well. Do you have any others? Yeah, the storytelling bit uh, was what came to mind for me for PR. Again, I haven't been successful in it, but you know, the best advice that I've gotten from a couple of people has been basically write the story that you want to be written about you for them, and then you know, in the subject line, like have that be you know, the, uh, the headline, right? Like you have to think and act like a journalist and because then, you know, if it actually is catchy and if it is a, a good story that you're telling and it is, there is some sort of unique angle to it, then they can see it immediately. They don't have to like pull it out and do the research and really like think about it. It's just like so obvious in their face because they're a journalist and they know a good story when they see it. So if you write that good story, then maybe I'll have a higher chance of success, but mm-hmm. I have yet to write that good story. So <laughs> T- TBA on that. <laughs> that was fun though. appreciate you uh, indulging me on the sort of the brainstorming sure. those different uses of cold email. 
beginning to wrap up here, but I'd love to take a peek at your personal swipe file. And you've mentioned a few things that you, you know, people you follow or some examples that you've had from the past, but I'm wondering if there are a few more that come to mind for just, you know, what does Laura think are some really notable, exceptional marketing examples, emails, ads, campaigns, any that come to mind that you could talk me through? So who I have in my swipe file? I have a, a lot of Laura Belgrade of Talking Shrimp. I have a lot of her emails because she does a lot of email only launches. So she doesn't do a lot of like fancy marketing around her launches. And she does a lot of just launching just to her email list. She also does a lot of selling and storytelling in the same email. So she'll tell a story and then link to link that story to what she's selling. And I think it's super interesting to see how she will link these two ideas together and segue it into an offer that she has about a product that she has. So I tend to read her emails also because she tells stories that are so relatable. They, they're just like normal human stories where she's like one story was before COVID, she went into a 7-Eleven and this guy was there and he was kind of being rude to people. She told the story about that to her email list. And it doesn't sound like a really interesting story, but it stuck in my head because of the way that she told it. And so I really like her emails because she does that. And, and also with a lot of those, like kind of, she calls them lazy launches where she just sends a couple of emails and gets sales. I like to see how she does that stripped down launch. Another person that I have been recently reintroduced to is Brian Harris of Video Fruit. And at the time, it was about five or six years ago when I first started cold emailing, he was about the only other person I'd ever heard of who was also cold emailing to get clients. And I really liked his analytical approach to cold pitching because he would share his results on his blog. And I liked how he he was ballsy enough to do this. And it flattered me to think that I was maybe in his same caliber because I was doing something similar. So anyway, fast forward a couple of years and I signed up for his email list. I don't think I was ever on it before, but I signed up for his email list and I really like how he, I like how his business model operates. It's uh, a lot of one-to-one coaching and he realized that basically just handing someone a course and it helping that they would do the work and get fabulous results was expecting a lot out of his students. So he added in a lot of personalized coaching into his courses. And that's how my business has transformed over the past year or so. I've come to that same conclusion of, you know, handing someone a course and hoping that they find time to do it, even with say office hours and like a Facebook group and all of that feels like extra work and they typically don't complete the course. So I really liked Brian's approach to adding in basically accountability and coaching. So if you get stuck, you have someone to ask questions of and keeping you accountable on the other hand. I really liked that business model. So it's one I've been changing my business over into. So I save a lot of his emails because they're typically getting, trying to get someone on what he calls a strategy call, which is essentially a sales call to sell them into and make sure that their business is a right fit for this coaching and accountability business model that he's got set up. So I I save a lot of his emails. 
the other really interesting swipe file that I came across, which was actually offline and not digital at all, was Sheets and Giggles. And they're a luxury sheet company uh, based out of Denver where I live. And the, the interior box copy that came when my sheets were delivered was so funny. It was so irreverent and, and just funny and humorous. And it sounded like a person. I ended up taking pictures of all of, all of their copy inside of the box because I thought it was so funny the way that they were injecting fun into kind of this common industry of sheets, which is kind of boring if you really think about it. It comes down to cotton and you can talk about thread count and all that, but the way that they were approaching sheets was a really funny way and I really liked it. And I actually obviously ended up buying some of their sheets partially because of their website copy. And then the experience continued when I got their sheets. Final question for you. When I say everything is marketing, what does that mean to you? What comes to mind? I think to me, everything is marketing means everything is based around how you perceive something. Really, it comes down to the framing of a message and how you take it in. And so you can think about perhaps the stories that you tell yourself around, for me, maybe why the stories I tell myself around why I'm scared to pitch journalists and what's the framing that I'm putting that overlay on the story that's preventing me from moving forward. And so that's what I think of when everything is marketing. It's all about what's the story that you're telling yourself that's either keeping you where you don't want to be or that is keeping you kind of in the groove of where you want to be. And if you can notice what the stories are and how they change and then what actions you're taking based upon those stories, that's what I think of when you say everything is marketing because essentially what it boils down to is we're just marketing to ourselves in our thoughts every day based on how we're perceiving the world going on around us. And we're either saying, this is a horrible thing because blah, 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 or this is a great thing because blah, 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 blah. But it's actually the same exact thing. It's just based on that story. And that's, that's really the marketing of, of that event. And we're marketing to ourselves. So I think once you once you kind of realize that, it frees you up. But yeah, I would say we're all marketing to ourselves every day and that we're all marketers on some core human level. Laura, thanks so much for coming on. Okay, cool. Thanks again to Laura for coming on the show and make sure to check out the free email templates she provides at lauralopuk.com slash everything is marketing, one word. And if you can spare a quick moment, click on the link in the show notes and pop on Twitter to thank her for sharing everything and let her know what you thought about her episode today. And to wrap up, here are a few of my takeaways. One, I think it's safe to say that the days of blast outreach are gone. Personalization is really the only viable option today. It's highly personalized or nothing. Secondly, I love the idea of warm outreach by being intentional about making small interactions with people before you reach out to them. I've personally seen this work really, really well for myself. And lastly, I think we overemphasize pitching and underemphasize relevance. Relevance is actually the key, not how clever your pitch is. 
If you've got a question or a takeaway you want to share from this episode, you can actually do so in the Swipe Files community. You can chat with guests of the podcast as well as a bunch of other top-notch marketers. Join a community that will help you do your best work and be prolific. Check it out at swifiles.com membership. You can also get my free newsletter, Marketing Weekly. It's a curated digest of the best marketing content in your inbox every Sunday. And finally, check the show notes for all the important links. And if you could do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you are and leave a review so more people like yourself can find the show and help me grow the podcast. And with that, I'll see you in the next one.